Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Today is Thursday. It is the 1st of February. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Michael Leland. Governor Kim Reynolds' scaled-back overhaul of the state's area education agencies is advancing in at least one legislative chamber. Unlike her original bill, the amended version would allow AEAs to continue all of their current services, but it would still send funding to school districts first to decide whether to use their local AEA or another provider. Reynolds says it gives districts control over what they pay for services. But Holly Messenger of West Des Moines doubts her district could find the kind of experts the AEA provides to help her son Kiran. She told a Senate subcommittee his teachers need regular training to help him use an eye-driven communication device. You are not going to be able to efficiently and economically get that level of collaboration with a cobbled-together piecemeal fee-for-service approach, and my son's education will suffer because of it. In the House, the bill did not advance after a subcommittee yesterday, but the bill did advance to the Senate's Education Committee. GOP lawmakers on that panel say they want to keep the conversation going. A bill that would have reduced legal protections for transgender Iowans is not advancing in the Iowa House. More from IPR's Katarina Sestarek. Hundreds of Iowans came to the State House to oppose the bill that would have removed gender identity from the Iowa Civil Rights Act and added gender dysphoria as a disability. Jocelyn Kruger of Powasheet County says when she lived in Indiana, she was denied service at a grocery store because she's transgender. She says lawyers couldn't help her because that state didn't have legal protections like Iowa's. And I regularly faced discrimination because of my gender identity, and I was told that I was hated and that people could get away with it because gender identity was not a protected class. The two Republican lawmakers who voted against the bill say they think the way transgender Iowans' rights intersect with other Iowans' rights needs to be examined. But they say this bill isn't the right vehicle to address that. Northeastern Iowa's annual point-in-time homeless census concluded last week. IPR's Grant Leo Winter reports on one Mason City shelter's efforts to keep the count as accurate as possible. Rural census takers and shelters, such as the Northern Lights Alliance of Shelters in Mason City, have a tall task each year due to sparse populations and the distance between them. Executive Director of the shelters, Jesse Germanson, says during this January census, however, he counted nearly 50 people inside the shelter, even while the outdoor tally was down. Germanson attributes this in part to a reframing of shelter policy during the colder months. We have um, rules governing sobriety and compliance and how often somebody can come to our shelters. But during the winter months, we lift a lot of those rules. The biannual count is used by the U.S. Housing and Urban Development Department to help determine how best to distribute resources. The Iowa Department of Public Safety says it believes evidence on illegal sports betting by athletes at two Iowa schools was obtained in a constitutionally permissible manner to conduct the surveillance required by state law. A statement comes after a lawsuit by one of the athletes questioned the constitutionality on the use of electronic surveillance to track sports gambling apps on the campuses without a warrant. The investigation involves student-athletes at the University of Iowa and Iowa State. It's George Washington Carver Day in Iowa, and his alma mater, Iowa State, has a number of things planned. The ISU Museums opens three Carver exhibitions today, and Des Moines attorney and ISU grad Paxton Williams performs his one-man show about Carver in the Memorial Union. I think it's just a good reminder that people like Carver existed and exist, and all the people who encouraged him and 
who inspired him and who assisted him, they existed too. I think there's just lots of great lessons in his stories for us all. In 1891, Carver became ISU's first black student, and a few years later, he became the campus's first black faculty member. Carver's credited with introducing improved farming systems, and he developed hundreds of food products from peanuts, sweet potatoes, and other plants. It's here first from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. Governor Kim Reynolds is hoping to push some big changes to the state's special education system through the legislature. Yesterday, those plans landed before subcommittees in both the Iowa House and Senate, where the public had a chance to tell lawmakers directly what they think of her proposal. IPR's Grant Gerlach went to them, and he's here with us now to share what he heard. Hey, Grant. Hey, Michael. So even before Governor Reynolds' plan went before these subcommittees in the House and Senate yesterday, she was already talking about changes. What is she proposing at this point? Well, a few weeks ago in her condition of the state address, Governor Reynolds was talking about restricting the state's nine AEAs to special education only, which meant cutting other services and funding. And that did not fly. At the Senate subcommittee yesterday, Republican Senator Lynn Evans of Aurelia even dropped a copy of the original bill in a garbage can to make that point. So Reynolds proposed an amendment. It allows all current services to continue, although it does cut state funding for media services. A couple of her key priorities are still in the plan. She wants to give the Iowa Department of Education more authority over the AEAs, including the power to hire and fire chief administrators. Also, each school district could decide whether to put their special ed funding toward their local AEA or use it in another way, maybe hire a different provider or use it on their own services. Reynolds was talking to reporters and said it would bring more transparency to what districts actually pay for the supports they receive. They are the customers, they're serving the children, and it makes sense that the money should go to the school districts. Now, at the subcommittees yesterday, there were a few superintendents from Okoboji and Council Bluffs who said they could save money if they had that flexibility. But opponents believe it could harm services in rural districts in particular because they gain the most from pooling resources. Now, in these hearings with lawmakers, what else did people have to say about the governor's plan? There were some who feel like schools should have more freedom to control their special ed funding or that the AEAs deserve more scrutiny over their administrative spending. There were also some parents of students with disabilities who worry what the plan could mean for kids who have the greatest needs because the AEAs play such an important role for them. Carrie Norris is an example of that. She spoke at the House subcommittee. Her daughter Lily has a hearing impairment. Norris says every year AEA specialists come to Lily's school in Carlisle to show teachers how to use a microphone that allows her to understand them. She says the AEAs deserve a lot of credit for Lily's success in school. I'm not asking you to not look at this bill and and wonder if there's budget changes that need to be made. I don't know anything about that. But what I do know is that I have a daughter who has benefited from AEA, and I know she's not the only one in the room. So please just give these kids a chance. Don't, don't take away something that's so important. Thank you, ma'am. Now, Governor Reynolds never proposed cuts to special ed or services for children with disabilities. But Norris and parents like her at these hearings are concerned that the ripple effects from this overhaul plan could harm the system overall. 
And that's even though the governor has backed away from some of the harsher cuts we discussed. And in the end, what did the subcommittees decide to do? And and what happens with the bill next? Well, the House subcommittee actually did not sign off on the bill. The subcommittee chair, Representative Schuyler Wheeler, who's also the chair of the House Education Committee, says he wants to have more conversations about it. So that raises questions about the bill's future in the House. In the Senate, the two Republicans on the panel did sign on, which sends it on to the full Senate Education Committee. And what they said is they want to allow the conversation to go forward. But they also suggested that those conversations could lead to even more changes to the governor's plan. All right, Grant, thanks a lot for this information. You're welcome. Grant is part of the team covering the legislature throughout this session. You can follow his work and that of state government reporter Katarina Sestarek online at IPR.org. And that's here first from IPR News. I'm Michael Leland. Have a great day.